Welcome to everybody on a Saturday morning here. Uh, Fancy Firebox. I'm your host, Tony Jason Cotillo, joined by Pittsburgh John Coker. And one thing's for sure, if it's Pittsburgh John Coker, it's Major League Baseball time. I understand that we're still in negotiations, right? We get it. We, we You never know what's going to happen. Uh, but this is the most important part, John. No matter what, when it happens, it's going to happen fast. You're going to have to be ready. Because you may get word, hey, season starting in two weeks, and the drafts are going to be apparent. They're already going on anyway, uh, but there's going to be some movement. We're going to talk about that. This is going to be a general over show, overview show. Uh, again, follow us at Heat Ratio Sports, at Win Daily Sports on all social formats. Make sure you check out all the affiliate links in there to get some free money as well. But what I want to do today, John, is, again, we there, there's so many question marks that aren't going to be answered right now. But. The main thing to start off with this show is just looking right at the top. And before we came on right off air, I was like, hey, man, who's the who's that consensus number one pick overall? Right. Is it Fernando Tatis? Is it Juan Soto? It could it be Trey Turner. Could it be Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? Where does Bryce Harper fall off of a unbelievable MVP campaign? So a lot of question marks. So pivoting right to you right to start the show off, man. Consensus wise. Who's that number one gem that not just you, but everybody else is looking at? I think it's Tatis. Um, you know, he has the skill set. He put up the stats. It doesn't help that he's one of the most energizing players in Major League Baseball. I mean, he reminds me back in the day, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. with the backwards hat. You know, I mean, this guy, yes. he can he can get a resurgence of baseball fans out there. Um, he's electric. He's exciting to watch. He's fun. And he puts, he got the numbers to back it up. I mean, he's everything you want except for that shoulder that continues to pop out. Um, and yes. that scares me, even though, I mean, I think he had it happen twice this past year. Um, you know, dislocated shoulder. What are they, was it called an impingement maybe, impingement. or, or no, yes. I think, well, regardless, it's, the, sh- the shoulder dislocates and it pops right back in. And he's had this problem uh, going back, you know, years. Um, so, you know, at first, it w- when he first got injured, it looked like it w- he was going to be out for a month or something. He's back in the minimum seven or 10 days um, off off the injured list. And then he did it again. Same thing. Talked about having offseason surgery. So for whatever reason, opted not to have it. And I'm sorry, two stints for that dislocated shoulder um last year even though they were short it scares me it's a you know it's a recurring problem i don't know how many games i can't guarantee you that he's going to miss games but i don't my feeling is he is going to miss games it's a question of how many and when you're looking at a 12 team or more draft you can't blow that number one overall pick because then that means no. you know so you're, you're, now you're talking your 24th pick really has to anchor your team so yeah it's He's number one, but he scares me, and I don't. I couldn't. I couldn't do it at number one, knowing that there's other safer options. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree, man. Even though this guy is so electric, right? He is. He's so electric. And I remember last year when we came in and we were doing a show last year. I know I was all about him. You were all about him. Uh, I actually had Juan Soto last year coming in as my number one overall guy. I said I would go Juan Soto. Wasn't a bad pick. I, you know, obviously this year, kind of the same, right? I, you know, but, but here's what I would say. 
there's so many question marks with a couple of those guys, right? So now you got Juan Soto decides to turn down the extension for Washington. What's going to go on with that? We have no idea. Sometimes players, when they have that kind of stuff around their head, they don't play off the expectations. It's Juan Soto, though, so I don't think that'll happen. You talk about Tatis with the shoulder injury, right? Uh, Trey Turner with with his his new surroundings, even though when he went to L.A., he, he excelled. So no reason to think that he wouldn't. But what about the wild card with Vlad? Because... Again, Vlad is, listen, he is, he's a beast, man. Like, you know, we talked about Tatis, but, you know, would, would you see any, and again, I know that he's probably the number four option to, to being number one, but th- is there any big argument on why he shouldn't be the top overall pick? Not really. Um, you know, last year was the first year that his batting average really came around. You know, he was his hitting tool is spectacular, but he was still, you know, muddling around in the 270 range um, for his first two years. Well, last year he finally broke out. So, you know, is he going to maintain that batting average? Because that also, you know, oftentimes that, that gets overlooked. You know, we're looking at, oh, a 35 home run guy, 100 ribbies, 100 runs, you know, chip in some stolen bases. But there is a difference, especially in, you know, rotisserie when you're talking categories from a 311 hitter and a 270 hitter putting up those same type of stats. So, I mean, he can mash the ball, Um, you know, obviously after his, you know, season last year. The only thing that holds him back is really the stolen bases. Um, you know, and that's rotisserie. You're talking points. He's right up there in the conversation. You know, rotisserie, his stolen bases are non-existent. But in reality, he, okay, so what's Soto going to chip in? 10? You know, it's not yeah. like he's really crushing it. And even even Turner, the days of him stealing 50 bags are long gone. Like, he'll still get 25, 30. You know, he'll be in the top 10 um, in stolen bases. But he also doesn't have that same power, at least historically, um, you know, even in, even at Dodger Stadium, it's he, you know he doesn't have the power that really matches with those other guys. You know, it's it's funny because here goes what's up, Joe? Checking in on Sunday morning. Joe's probably fresh from the gym, pumping it up. Says, "Will Trout return to form after the longest calf injury known to Maine? He could have had a transplant in the time span of his suspense. I mean, injury." Um, yeah, listen, that's an interesting question, John, because I was wondering the same thing. Like, where does Mike Trout, I've seen him as low as 15, even as low as 20, as high as 10. Like, what do you make of Mike Trout with this very suspicious season-long calf injury? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, (laughs) you know, you look at the past two years, I mean, what, he, I don't think he's gotten over 200 at-bats. Um, and even in the two years prior, he didn't get up above 500 at bats, even though if, if you know, you're getting 470 or so out of him, you're getting a full year, top 10 player, even though he's getting 80 less bats than some of the other guys, he could definitely bounce back. But my fear is he's still going towards the end of the top, you know, end of the first round, um, which, you know, can definitely turn in value because he could finish the year top three. But could he also put up another 200 at bat season and it's a wasted pick? So, yeah, I mean, I think late late first, it really just depends on that um, on that grouping. I'll take him, um, you know. But yeah, there's definitely question marks. I mean, he hasn't had above 500 at bats since five years ago. 
So 2016, last time, 549. Since then, 402, 471, 470. Then the, you know, obviously the glaring issue, 2020, 53 games, 2021, 36 games combined, combined uh, a little bit over 300 at bats. So that's oh, we that's did have the, something to be concerned about. Yeah, we did have the shortened season, so I don't want that to yeah. quite sway things. But but it's still been, you know, the historicals on him. He's he's not getting over 500 at bats. Right. And he's still, listen, but he's still only 30. Right. Yep. So that, that's what people have to, as much as, again, I get it, but he's still only 30. Right. And that's what you have to look at. And right now, if you just go from, you know, generalized ADP, you know, he's being ranked just from the outfield perspective, you know, in the top 10, anywhere between six to 10. So, Here's a good question, too, and, and I'll tell you. So you look at – this is why I always do this, John. I know you're an analytical guru, so I, I, I'm not an analytic guy. So um, I'm, I'm curious your opinion on this after I tell you mine. But number one, I think when you just look at the outfield perspective, because we're talking about Mike Trout, obviously, you know, you're, you're, you have to tee Soto, and as long as Acuna Jr. is healthy and good, he's got to be up there in those top three. Mookie's got to be up there. Bryce has got to be up there, too. But here's the thing. You're just talking about Mike Trout. It's like, okay, so if you don't take Mike Trout, you know, what's the other options? Look at guys around him. Kyle Tucker, Jordan Alvarez, Louis Albert, Sterling Marte, Aaron Judge. So I think you have to think about, even though all those guys had very, very productive seasons last year, I still wouldn't take any of them over a healthy Mike Trout. What do you think, John? Yeah, I'm pretty much with you. I mean, you know, I, I already got – over 300 players ranked that that's been done <laughs> obviously a lot changes with spring training yeah look and, at this um, this is what he gives me all right this is what he got i need a freaking magnifying glass to see this thing hey no just, just put on your reading glasses man there's <laughs> there, there's enough information i mean that that thing probably you know it has the what top 35 by for every position top 100 yes. outfielders top 100 starting pitchers so, yeah, it's the one-stop shop, but I, I definitely got to bring my reading glasses nowadays. Um, now, you're right. I mean, I, I have I have Trout ranked at number nine in outfield. This was just a purely analytical approach. This was not how I'm going to draft. You know, I still got another month before drafts. But, yeah, I think you're right. I'm not taking him before Starling Marte. Um, Kyle Tucker, for me, that's a close one. Um you know, Buxton, he's another guy. Uh, I would probably go with Trout over Buxton. I mean, that's like which one of them is uh, going to miss the most games. I mean, that's the game you're playing on that one because they're both probably going to miss games. But, yeah, I think I'm more confident in him, at least in the upside over uh, Mookie Betts. Um, you know, if you even throw Aaron Judge in there, um, you know, I also I like Trout a little better than uh, Judge as well. So, yeah, it's it's almost exactly what you said. It's who do you take over them? So that's that first group that I see. Yeah, Tatis, Soto, Harper, and I'll even take Acuna because hopefully, you know, yeah, the ACL is definitely going to have a little bit of drag on him. But he was he's potentially the number one overall pick, you know. Yes. So if that knee gets, you know, somewhat healthy and gets loosened up, doesn't really cause a big problem with his swing, you know, even if it's May 1st and you get a full five months of 95% of Acuna, Acuna, I'll take him over Trout. But yeah, I might have Trout penciled in at like five or six in terms of outfield. It's between him and Tucker for me. 
Yeah, Kyle Tucker had an unbelievable season last year, right? I mean, I, I just know last year was, uh, I'll be honest with you, last year was probably only my second full DFS kind of year. I always play season long. And and for this discussion, we're talking both, okay? Mainly, this is a season-long talk because we're talking about pre-draft, right? We have no idea what the DFS values are going to be. We'll get into that once the season starts, but... Kyle Tucker was that guy that you watched his value just continue to rise. He was that low value. He was an FFAP at many times, a fancy firebox value play. And then he decided to turn it up and get to that next level. Now, when we talk about that, again, this is going to be a generalized show today, right? Because we're just, this is an overview. It's the first time we've been able to look at the stats and look at the players and look at the situations and try to figure out what's going on. So, John, there's one guy, I'm going to ask you who maybe, I know you probably got tons of them, but one guy to take that next step, no matter, regardless of position, right? Regardless of position. And then there's this one guy that I have on my list that I think takes that next step. And he plays multiple positions. And I love the dual position eligibility. Now, I've seen this guy overall as, or, you know, from, from I should say, overall as, in the second base market because he's primarily a second baseman as number 12, but as, as high as number five and in a couple sites at number four, I love Kettle Marte. I, I last year, Marte to me, um, listen, Kettle was unbelievable for Arizona. I really, he, he was one of those guys that gravitated towards. And I look at the guys and another guy was Jonathan India. Uh, so he was another guy. That Cincinnati offensive firepower they had over there, which now to Lou Castellano. So we'll see how that lineup looks. But I loved Marte. I loved his situation. I loved that he was dual eligible. And he was always reasonable from a DFS level. But I'm looking at this list where obviously in the second base market, you have Trey Turner, who we talked about. We got Mookie Betts. Uh, you know, you have Ozzie Albies, who I love Ozzie Albies. But then you're talking Whit Merrifield, Marcus Simeon. Will, will Simeon be able to duplicate what he did last year? I'm not sure. Altuve, who had a good year, but not a great year. Javier Baez, first year in Detroit. I, I don't know. Jonathan India, I really like him. And then you're looking at a consensus of maybe Marte. Now, John, I didn't look because I can't see right now where Marte is on your, on your list for second baseman. But as far as taking the next step, do you like the Marte move? And and who's an, another guy, regardless of position, that you think is going to take that next step this year? Yeah, I mean, I do like Marte. I got him at nine at second base, but he's kind of the last of that second tier. I got Trey Turner in really in the tier of, of his own. And then there's another eight guys, and it's basically all the guys that you said for the most part. The, the two that I have ranked a little higher, once again, analytical approach, you know, but also, you know, I, I went through every player with a fine tooth comb that I've ranked, um, you know, not looking at, I didn't get into batting order, you know, where the free agents are signing all those different types of things, but I'll stick with second base. And I, I don't, and I'm not even going to answer your question necessarily to say, take the next step, but because we're on second base, the two guys that intrigue me the most or Brandon Lau or Low and Jorge Polanco. Jorge Polanco is an underrated player. Um, you know, he's still fairly young. And, you know, at 28 years old, I mean, he's he's just coming up. All right. You know, but even back in 2019, he hit two, 22 bombs. 
Um, you know, last year he was over 30, 98 ribbies, 97 runs, and chipped in 10 stolen bases. I mean, this is a 28-year-old. He got a good frame on him. Um, you know, he's not going to challenge for a batting title. But, you know, the past, you know, past couple years, you know, these fluttering, I, I expect about a 270 out of him. I think he's going to fall under the radar where you could get him on the cheap. And same thing with Brandon Lau. I mean, his power, I mean, he, he got a stick on him. Um, and, and he can really bash that ball. So those are kind of two underrated guys that I could see really creep into that top five at the second base position that you wouldn't think about. I, I love the Polanco play. I played him a ton last year. Dual eligible again, second base and shortstop. And if you look at the if you look at the numbers, like John said, I mean, this is a guy who proved to be healthy, played 152 games last year. Right? He had almost 600 at bats, but again, really decent power numbers. 33 home runs. Didn't hit the 100 RBI plateau, but he was still. Right there. And, and listen, 267, almost hitting 270. That's not a terrible average, right? You're not talking about 220, 230, 270, which means he's going to have multi hit games, right? That's what that means, right? So 157, 157 hits and 152 games. Okay. That shows you right there. He's averaging at least a hit per game, right? So, you know, when you're talking about Major League Baseball, whether it be head to head, whether it be Roto, whether it be DFS, Again, it's all about consistent production. You know, you got to be careful with those power guys that go 0 for 4. You want to get a guy who kind of mixes it a little bit. He, he, you know, you're going to get your power guys, but you also want guys that are going to give you a ton of power and a ton of contact ability. So, because then it'll give you that one or two points per game. So, I like the Polanco play a lot. I play, I, I feel like between him and Byron Buxton, like you know that that twins team last year, they had a lot of firepower on them. Yeah, no, uh, they they do. Buxton got to stay healthy. I mean, well, that's uh, true. Last year in my draft, I mean, I'll tell you, I I took Springer and Buxton, and it was a struggle for the first uh, couple months of the season. You know, um, yeah, he's always intrigued us with his uh, hit tool. Um, you know, he's he's even he's an exciting defensive player. But that guy, you know, is he really injury prone? I mean, he is to some extent, but the injuries have been all over the place. I mean, you can't fault him for breaking a bone, getting hit by a pitch. Like, I mean, you know, that that, that kind of thing happens. So, yeah, who knows? But, I, yeah, that, that team has a lot of lot of potential there. Um, and even, even the power of um, – oh, my goodness, I'm drawing the blank. He's going to hit 190. But uh, <laughs> why am I drawing the – oh, Miguel Sano. To know, Miguel, man. Yeah, it's so gotta no, be yeah. to know. It's like the Serrano yeah, of the yeah, Twins. Exactly. Twins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he can't. Ser, Serrano and Sano can't hit curveball. Uh, <laughs> it's, just, it's just what's going to happen. Food checking in. What's up, Foods? Uh, checking in as always. Thanks for checking in. Broad Street South. Check them out. No Filter Network. Doing uh, look like doing some things with Tony, Tony Bruno next week or something. So check them out, guys, as well on a Saturday morning. Um, Let's let's gravitate towards the pitching market, right? And again, this is this is a get just get our feet wet a little bit. I'm getting excited already talking about fancy baseball. I really am. I, I love fancy baseball. It, you know, one of the things I it was the the second sport I started playing. Obviously, started football. Then I gravitated towards baseball and then to basketball. But I'll tell you, man, I told a lot of people, John, before that once you get 
in the fantasy baseball. And again, the game's not for everybody. I get it, right? I understand. But it is a science more than any other sport. Only because there's 162 games. It's a constant grind. You got the constant roster tail. Who's going to get added to the 40 man roster? Who's going to get called up? You got the 10 day deal, the seven day deal. Like you have all these different stints that you got to pay attention to, especially listen, DFS is the easy part. Season long is the hard part because they, to continue to build your team throughout the entire year with all those parameters. Listen, I'll tell you, hats off. I know John does it full time ridiculous i don't know listen i i I lay claim to these guys because it's a lot of work i i I copy off their notes and for my own perspective and then i have my own analytics i do behind but you know here's the thing you know pitching market is tougher than anything because of the injuries uh, because of the the lack of rotation depth right now you have pitchers that they skip starts now right you never had this back in the day now if you get a guy who's going to give you 12 to 13 wins it's like you got the golden ticket like american idol right i mean that that's what you have to look at it's a shame but it's the truth so so john now i know last year when we did these preview shows I, i again you know i was a big trevor bauer guy i thought trevor bauer was going to be the top guy, I, I really did go into LA. I thought there's no way Trevor Bauer. He he, listen. It ends and and starts with Trevor Bauer. It happened to be Walker Bueller, right? And we and we all know what's going on with the Bauer situation, right? Let's keep that at bay. But here's what I want to ask you, John, because last year he proved me wrong because he still had a good year. Uh, but I'm waiting for this year where Max Scherzer takes a step back. I'm waiting for that year, and I know he signed a big money deal with the Mets. So, and whenever the Mets sign somebody, it never works out. Hola, Johan Santana. But what, what I just keep thinking is, is this finally the year? And I'm not saying a terrible year, but that he's not going to give you those innings eating potential. Like, is this the year that Max Scherzer sets back or is he still a top five pitcher? Everybody wants to know. <laughs> um, <laughs> look, I... I, I will say, and, and sometimes to a fault, but I kind of check myself. I always gravitate to some of these more veteran guys. And I know it's a polar opposite approach than a lot of the people in the industry. I'm not saying that I'm going to continue to expect the same guys. I mean, there is a drop off and I fully realize this, but I also think that sometimes when you have your truly, truly elite players, they can pl- pitch, a, pitch, hit, whatever, pick a sport they can be effective, you know, later in age than some others. And I think Scherzer, Scherzer is one of those guys. I mean, look at what Nelson Cruz is doing. You know, once again, is he really going to hit all those home runs at his age? I don't know. But you know what? I'll take a flyer on that than trying to hit a, a one in 10 shot on some rookie that may not even get playing time. It's even more so in baseball where, Look, you you know, opportunity is so much. I mean, we talk about it in football. Opportunity in football is how many carries are those backs getting? Opportunity in football is targets. You know, I harp on targets all the time. Yeah. So there's something to be said with just playing time, you know. Um, so in terms of Scherzer, I mean, he's sitting there at 37 years old. Um, you know, for the most part, he's been consistent. It was just really that one year um, that, you know, he had an injury issue. So there's definitely going to be a little bit of a decline. But, you know, 
looking at, I'm pulling up my uh, rankings. I mean, I still got him at number three, yep. sub three ERA, you know, the whip sitting around the, you know, the one mark. And I still got him well above 200 Ks. And I mean, how many guys really have a feasible shot at getting 250 Ks, 240 Ks? There's not many of them. So, yeah, I mean, I'm okay with Scherzer again. But I mean, one of these years, he is going to drop off. Yeah, he is. And Fuchs checking in says, I think Max saw something left in the tank. You mentioned 37 years old. Here's the thing, Fuchs. Here's the thing, John, that I will say. Uh, you know, everybody out there, you heard John just say whip. If you can get a pitcher that's under a, a one whip, that's elite territory. Elite whip under one, man. I mean, and I'll be honest with you. Max Scherzer, it's all about staying the test of time. Three, only three times out of the last nine years was he above one for whip 1.18 1.11 that's not and and even when he went above it it wasn't ridiculous so he has been the epitome of consistency i i don't know john it just scares me i you know i i know he's had a dead arm issue before right it, you know he's had a back problem you know there's a lot of things that he's had and and now he goes you know at 37 he jumps over but Again, I mean, look at Justin Verlander. You know, you look at guys back in the day. Look at Greg Maddox. I mean, these guys continue to pitch well into their late 30s and pitch predominantly well. So, I mean, listen, the odds are that he's going to do well. And the thing is, as long as he stays healthy. And at 37, listen, that's always going to be the question mark. It's always going to be the question mark. But how about the guy who came out of Milwaukee? Go ahead. What's that? Oh no! I was I was you met you mentioned uh, Trevor Bauer. Um, yes, and and if you recall, we were very adamant last year around this time, and you said Trevor Bauer, it was your guy, and I called yep. Lucas Giolito. Yeah, I I don't think either one of us really won that uh, <laughs> won that <laughs> argument. Okay, Giolito was serviceable. We know the whole Bauer thing, so I I just putting it out there. I think we both lost on that one a little bit. No, I think we did. But you know what? You know what we both won on was there was two guys, and I'm going to get the burns in a second, but there was two guys that we wanted we both mentioned. Well, number one, you were a big Walker Bueller guy because when I talked about Bauer, you're like, ah, you know, you liked you some Walker Bueller, and he had an unbelievable year. And I loved Zach Wheeler. A lot of guys were out on Zach Wheeler as a top pick, and, and he was a stud, right? Zach Wheeler was a stud. He, you know, and the reason why – is because he took that next step. When, you, when you're when you 28, 29 years old as a pitcher and you're finally hitting your stride, those next four or five years are going to be either really, really good or really, really bad. And I could just tell that he was primed and poised to have a very, very big year. And a lot of guys from New York media who I talked to were like, hey, I would we would have never gave him that money. And, you know, that Philadelphia gave him because of his lengthy injury history. And they didn't think that he could take that next step. But I was like, look, man, I'm all in. You know, we we're, we're, we have a rotation of guys that are all question marks uh, right now in Philadelphia. You know, you don't know what to expect from Aaron Nola. Kyle Gibson came over and pitched very, very well. Will it continue? We're not sure. Ranger Suarez turned into a decent starter. Will it continue this year? I don't know. And will the knee uh, the other guy that I was big on with Zach Eflin, well, the knee hold up. We don't sure. It's a lot of question marks at Philadelphia. But to get back to the pitching start, uh, you know, pitching conversation in general, 
Walker Bueller, Zach Lear, good years. But how about the guy, or I should say kid, out of Milwaukee and Corbin Burns, who was just like the Nolan Ryan Express out there, John, just mowing dudes down like at nauseum every single week. It was the Corbin Burns show out there in Milwaukee. Number one, I mean, did you expect that to happen last year? And do you expect that to be much of the same next year, maybe even popping off above Garrett Cole for that number one spot? Yeah, no, I didn't expect it. I mean, he showed flashes the prior year. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm the type that I want to see more of a track record. I've seen too many flashes in the pan, too many one-year wonders, too many toughy roads out there. Uh, you toughy know, I'm not, roads. I, I'm not, uh, you know, I, yeah, I'll take a guy for a flyer, but when it comes to draft time, so that's more free agent. I'll, fl- I'll take a flyer on a guy, you know, as an acquisition. But when it comes to drafting, I want more of a track record. So, I mean, yeah, he definitely has good stuff. But, you know, in reality, not too many teams saw this guy. Not too many teams really had that much tape with him as a starter in the Major League Baseball. So, yeah, I mean, he he maintained it. And, you know, he I mean, he ultimately he even got better um, than, you know, the year prior. So I'm starting to believe it more now. Um, I have him, you know, in that top five. But I still can't quite put him in the conversation with a Garrett Cole, a Jacob DeGrom. He could end up performing that way, but I need to see like one more year of this to really see what he got. Yeah, I, I don't disagree, right? You know, I, I'm i a firm believer of consistency, and I understand he's only 27 years old, right? And is this goes right to my Zach Wheeler theory, right? When you hit 28 as a starting pitcher, that's when things really start to excel. Uh, I feel like they excel for him last year, but again, it was one year. Now the previous year, he goes four and one, only starts nine games. So, you know, last year was the first time he started double digit games, right? So it's the first time 167 innings pitched, all right? Hit 234 strikeouts. I mean, listen, he was, uh, it, it, we already know the point nine four whip, he was an insane. So, again, I'm going to go back to my Mike, Mike Trout theory, John. And, uh, you know, when I look at a guy like Corbin Burns and say, who is around him, right? So, you know, whether, you know, it's John Coker's top five, whether it's Wynn Daly's top five, whether it's Yahoo's top five, whoever it may be, I mean, they're all going to be about the same where you guys like, you know, you have DeGrom, you got Woodruff, you got Scherzer, you got Cole, you got Walker Bueller. To me, Garrett Cole you know, is the number one, but I don't think I can feel comfortable taking Corbin Burns number two. You know, I, I would, I would much rather feel safer taking a guy like Walker Bueller number two. I would much feel safer taking a guy, honestly, like his counterpart and Brandon Woodruff at number two, um, just because I, I, I need to see this play out. I need to see it play out longer. Even DeGrom coming off of injury, as long as he's healthy, at least I know what he can do when he is healthy, right? I, I, I think you open a show saying, if you don't hit a, one of your top guys in the first couple rounds, it's going to be a long year. You're always going to be trying to, to, to chase, basically chase your tail, so to speak, right? So this is a very important play. And I know everybody, you know, roster construction as it may be, you know, you have to think about this. And this is, again, season-long specific. You have to think about, how many top 
arms are you going to have? And say you want two. Just say we're going to do two. So I, I can tell you right now, in a season-long league, I always want to get those top two studs. One of them has to 100% not only hit, but give you that expectation and, and probably exceed a little bit on what your preseason projection is in order for you to feel comfortable. So you're talking about Corbin Burns is going to have to be that top guy in your draft, and you better hope, right? You better hope that the, he is going to prove out. Now, now, John, when we talk about the pitching perspective and, you know, you're, you're going – a name that I think is very interesting – and I, you know, I, because here's what happened last year in San Francisco, they did a really good job in signing a bunch of players to one year deals. One of them specifically was Kevin Gosman. Signed him a one year, $18.5 million deal, and he balled out. He balled out last year. Now he goes to Toronto. And speaking of, this is going to be a two part question. Speaking of Toronto, a guy that balled out for them now leaves and goes to Seattle and Robbie Ray. Take some big money. So could either one of these guys, John, with the years that they had last year that a lot of people did not predict, uh, Gosman or Gausman is a fire thrower, right? He, he, he is a hard thrower. Um, he can be hit if his location's off. And Robbie Ray obviously has three-pitch potential and is more of a finesse style of pitcher. Both of these guys right there, could they be your second-tier starter in season long? Would you feel comfortable? As you know, they're your number two guy, and what are those guys? Uh, I wouldn't really feel <laughs> comfortable per se. Um, yeah, look, I was all I was a Gosman guy for years when he was in Baltimore. Um, I had him on many teams waiting for him to break out. Um, never quite got there until finally, you know, in his age, what 30 season. Um, you know, and even in the shortened season, he had a, a decent year. Um, but he really broke out last year for the first first time, you know, at age 30. So, yeah, the Giants, they, they've been working wonders with that pitching staff. You know, like you said, bringing in guys that, you know, haven't really performed overly well, you know, just middle of the, middle of the road guys and really turn them into a good pitching staff. Um, that's what really carried San Francisco most of the year. Um, going to a Toronto team, look, I, I don't know. It was I, I seen too much of that AL East and Gosman's failures. Um, Toronto, I'm not sure where they're playing all their game, their home games this year, but it was a very hitter favorable park um, for what it was last year. So I'm not as high on Gosman as I would be with Robbie Ray. Uh, Robbie Ray, you know, similar, really last year was the first year that he broke out. His problem all along, I mean, he's a flamethrower. I mean, he always got the Ks. Question is, how many walks is this dude going to have? What's that whip number going to be? Is it going to be above 1-3? Because you can't have above a 1-3 and be your number two pitcher. Is it going to be above 1-2? I don't really want that as my number two pitcher either. But the dude is potentially getting 240 Ks. And I think that's going to translate. Seattle has a, a, a better pitcher's park than, um, you know, what he had in Toronto. Um, you hope whatever mechanical things and, you know, his control that he figured out in Toronto hopefully stays with him in Seattle. So if I had to choose one, I would go with Ray. Um, 
but I may feel a little more comfortable. You know, I mean, can I go back in, in, in the pan and go with Giolito again? I think oh, I would take Giolito over Ray. I mean, you know, common theme of everything that we've been looking at is who goes in that category. And <clears throat> literally I've Robbie Ray next to Gosman, you Darvish, Carlos Rodon, Giolito, maybe even Jack Flaherty, um, who had a poor year last year, but, you know, looked like that up and coming top five ace for years to come. So, uh, yeah, I probably wouldn't take either of them, hoping that, you know, uh, uh, Carlos Rodon or a Giolito's there. I'd feel more comfortable potentially with one of those guys. But I think Ray would have more of a chance to repeat what he did than Gosman. Yeah, you know, it's a good point about Ray. Because, you know, the theme of this show obviously has been consistency and guys you gravitate towards based on year, you know, year. It's funny. In football, I've always been a three-year average guy. I I don't like to just go after the the hot topic, right? He had one good year. If it's a rookie, it's different, right? You can't go back. But you, you bring up Robbie Ray. It's a good point because, listen, you talk about whip, talk about ERA, talk about... He did not have a year like this since 2017. Like, we're not just talking about, oh, Robbie Ray had a bad 2020, 2019. No, like, he has not been this good since 2017, where his whip was 1.15. He went 15 and 5. His ERA, 2.89. Like John alluded to, you're talking about ERAs, the fours, the sevens, the sixes. Like, you know, and this guy is 30. Now, the only good thing about him is he's a lefty. Right. So we've watched lefties dominate for specific periods over time. Speaking of uh, a Philly guy, a Yankee guy's been all over, even Toronto, like a guy like Jay Happ. Uh, you know, he was a guy that for a, a good period there was pretty dominant because he was a lefty. Right. We, we all know the top lefty of Randy Johnson, but we're just talking specifically about borderline pitchers. So the other thing, John, is you mentioned Giolito, right? Now, that Chicago White Sox team, uh, you know, it's funny because last year, you know, if you remember, we were really talking about in the preseason about that Chicago White Sox team, that they had a couple guys on that rotation that, that could kind of go for a Cy Young push. But their bats last year, guys like Lewis Robert, out of nowhere, and, and a, a gritty guy. I want to talk about him for a minute, switch it back to the, the offensive side, because, again, we talk about consistency. And Lewis Robert was a guy who gets you the stolen bases, gets you the multi-hit games. All right, He might not always get you the home runs, but another guy that could really, really help you when it comes to the outfield market, right? So a guy like Lewis Robert, where you know, did you project him to, to do pretty well last year like he did? And you expect it to be more of the same this year, too. Yeah, last year, uh, you know, once again, he was a, a young guy. I mean, yep. great talent and, you know, all the potential to uh, do things. I didn't have him over, overly high. I think he was going a little higher in drafts than he should have. Um, you know, he put up a solid year, you know, didn't play. Once again, playing time. If you're only getting the yep. guy for 275 at-bats, I mean – that got to play in. I mean, that's not a fourth round pick. It's not a sixth round pick. So, but I mean, when he came on the scene, I mean, he played, he played pretty darn well, um, you know, chipping in the stolen bases. You know, if he can do 25 homers, 10 stolen bases, 
and hopefully have that decent average because he does have a, a very good, you know, hitting eye. Um, you know, that's that's a guy that's solid. Um, you know, he's not necessarily going to win you a championship, but that I think he's going to be a solid, consistent guy for years to come. You know, not wowing you, not putting up first round numbers, but, you know, just one of those guys that's going to continually produce, um, and, you know, and get you a lot of counting stats. Yeah, I, I, I really like him. I'm going to gravitate towards him. I, I I was always gravitated towards him through um, Daily Fantasy. I really liked – he was a very, very good value. Uh, he was an FFVP for a while. Uh, you mentioned playing time. I think, obviously, he's proved that he's going to be the guy now in Chicago, which is a good thing in center field. They need that. I mean, I – I mean, they, listen, there's a lot of historic center fielders they've had for the Chicago White Sox. So uh, we could talk about that for another episode. But let's do this. Um, you know, we went about 40 minutes. Don't want to go all morning. I uh, just want a little preview show. Get the get the juices going. L- look at what we're kind of looking at as far as projection models and things of that nature. With the only thing we didn't touch on, John, was the closer market. Now, uh, in fitting, as we close out this episode, let's touch on the closer market. And it's funny, me and John had an off-air discussion, and John was saying how it's always nipped him in the butt as far as injuries when he's been drafted closer. And I was a huge closer guy. So every season-long league I've always was in was always a two-closer league. So I wanted one that was predominant, whether it be Mo, right? Whether And obviously, for those who don't know Mo, you should know Mo, but Mariano Rivera. Um, I wanted that top guy. I always did, and I and again I reached for him. It didn't matter. I, I wanted that guy. So this year, John, number one, the the closing position has changed over the years. There's not many teams that are going to come in right off the bat and be 100% all in on their closer. It just doesn't happen anymore. Uh, there's a couple guys, but besides that. It's closer by committee. It, you know, a lot of these managers now, they do gameplay situations. And I'll be honest with you. This is where you can tell the difference between a professional fantasy baseball player and a rookie. Because a lot of these names, you would have no idea who these guys are if you don't follow the game. So, Segwaying to this question, John, number one, let's just get, you know, a couple of your top closures right off the bat because it's too early to get into sleepers and things of that nature. we got to see how this season plays out as far as contract negotiations to see what the lineups are like. Because one thing I'll ask you this, John, when I always did it and I always looked at my closers, I always, number one, want to look at the rotation. Number two, obviously, this theory proved me wrong a few times which was odd but i always wanted a closer on a good team i said why do i want a closer on a bad team because they're not going to win many games but for some reason over the years some major dominant performances from closers were on shitty teams so i mean that doesn't always come to fruition but when you're looking at the closure position what what are you zeroing in on as what makes up your projection model. Number two, what are those, you know, top two or three or maybe four guys at the closer role, you know, that you're looking at this year? Yeah, I mean, the closer role is all about saves. Um, You know, some leagues they've gone to, uh, you know, if it's a roto league, they've gone to a solds category, which is saves plus holds, really waters down the market in terms of, how much a save means because it means just as much as a hold. So now instead of 
one save a game, you're potentially getting a save and two guys getting holds. So now you have a lot of these, you know, eighth inning guys, seventh inning guys that have great ratios and just have a full-time closer ahead of them that become very valuable. Uh, but I mean, saves is really what the closers are all about. Um, you know, and I'll, it's funny that you said you like closers for, you know, good teams, teams that are going to win. And I think that does apply for the truly elite tiers. You think back Mariano Rivera, think back about the guys that were, you know, top two, top three at the position. They were typically the guys that, you know, they were playing into October, but I would usually take a separate approach. And I mean, everybody knows I bleed black and gold, even for my uh, piss poor. Here we go. go. Think about all the closers that they had over the years, getting 35 to 40 saves and you're getting them in the 10th round, 11th round, Felipe Vasquez, Mark Melanson. I mean, every year it's just, who was the setup man? They trade the closer in, you know, July or August setup man comes in and next year he's the closer and he does well. I mean, I will say pirates have had a a decent, you know, uh, bullpen for quite a few years now. That's about the only thing that they've had, but you know, (laughs) I'm, I'm okay if they're and once again, you said there's not that many etched in closers. So the pirates have been a team that really have gone historically with a closer where you could look at some other teams like the Royals, um, you know, that are not only not a very good team often, but, you know, also start flipping around that closer situation, um, you know, playing uh, matchups, situational things as the game goes on. So, you know, in terms of the truly elites, I mean, to me, it's Josh Hader. Josh Hader, he has the job. It's his. He's fire. That's it. And then, I mean, you could look at Liam Hendricks. It just scares me with the whole Kimbrell thing. I think it was a great team move, but is he really going to, you know, is Kimbrell going to steal 10 saves because, you know, they're playing matchups? Is is something going to happen? You know, could they even trade Hendricks and keep Kimbrell? You know, come somewhere down the road. I'm not saying that it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. But just the presence of Kimbrell, um, you know, has me have Hendricks, uh, you know, a little bit below Hater. Otherwise, I would have them easily one, two, interchangeable. Um, and then, truthfully, I think you got a bunch of guys. Um, you know, you have some closers, but, you know, what is it? Rocio Iglesias, who couldn't even ha- hold the job down in uh, in Cincinnati, but yep. now what? He's the number three closer with the Angels. Uh, Emmanuel Classe, or you know, he he didn't even have the job in Cleveland going into last year. So how much can you really count on these guys? You know, you have your good old Kenley Jensen, um, who once again, I mean, he didn't even have a lock on the job in in L.A. over the past two years, where he had you know hit some. Uh, stumbling blocks you know ryan presley i know he's up there but then there's just a bunch of guys i'm gonna wait a little bit you know i'll wait until the seventh round eighth round you know you and i both whether it's baseball football we're tier drafters i mean i think that's the best way to tier every time i'm looking i mean i highlight my spreadsheet and i say look i want a guy here's my top tier you know one through four and then my second tier four through eight. I need to get one of these guys. If I'm going and there's still a guy from that top tier and I'm up and the other three guys in that tier are gone, I'm taking that fourth guy because I think he is in the same class as those other guys. So at the closer position, I think after those top two, you got, I mean, eight, 10 guys 
that you know you could throw in and oftentimes in baseball i'll even wait later i'll wait and see you know i'll take one closer two closers and then i'll work that waiver wire you know yes. some pe- some people go with you know have fab which brings a little bit of a a different mix but if it's just a free agent pool you know i'll i'll get some waiver wire closers i mean i don't know what the stats have been over the past 2 years but i mean historically you would have at least 50% of your closers turn over in a year. Yep. So, so much values to be had. Uh, you know, if I'm not going to pay up for Hater, which I probably won't, um, you know, I'll just take out of that next big group. Yeah, that, it's exactly what we talked about. You know, you, you can wait. You can afford to wait. So that's one thing we, we really, we can afford to wait. Remember that you when it comes to the closer position, I'm a huge tier guy, just like John said. He's a huge tier guy. Listen, I am not taking the 12th best closer, okay, on, on the closer market. And the 12th best closer is like equivalent to like the, the 40th ranked outfielder, okay? So you got to be really careful with, with how you're doing your projection models. Like a couple questions coming in. We got how early would you take Wander Franco? And Wander Franco, man, I'll tell you what, he was a, a DFS darling last year man he came in for that bare minimum 2000 and went off man he was unbelievable so what do you think john you know he's a five tool guy right he does it all and you know he's going to get you consistent points now here's the thing i I honestly last year i gravitated towards towards franco on the dfs side of things because he he was so tool oriented when it comes to walks when it comes to stolen bases and you know he was filling up the stat sheet but where would you go with franco in a crowded outfield position you know i'm not very high on him um at least for this upcoming year i think he is he could be a generational talent um i think he has you know uh, he got all five tools so but i don't know that he's developed that raw power yet um, you also look at, you know, where is he going to be batting in the order? Who's going to be hitting around them? Um, you know, what are the what are those numbers going to look like? How much is he going to be stealing bases? I I could see him, you know, maybe maybe getting to the twenty five home run mark. I don't really envision him going much above that for this upcoming year. I think he's going to get drafted way too high on name value, and I mean, there's a ton of guys shortstop. It's crazy how shortstop to me seems like such a deep position this year where it used to be, you know, one of the most shallow positions, you know, just a handful of years ago. But, uh, yeah, Franco, he will be drafted before I'm willing to take him. I could see capping out at a 20 home run, 10 rib or 10 stolen base season. You know, is he really going to get up to, you know, that 100-100 category? I don't think so. Can he get to 90-90? Maybe. I think more like a 90-80 one way or another. Um, and, you know, the the batting average, I don't see him hitting above 311 yet. You know, a 280 hitter maybe. Um, so that's kind of the peak. So I, I'm not taking him overly high. Um, you know, I would take him at a middle infield spot more than I would draft him as my shortstop. And I know, look, that's my opinion. Uh, you know, he's going to go well ahead of where I would draft him. That, but, you know, that's kind of what I'm going with, especially in a, you know, I know you said in the outfield, I'm talking shortstop. I mean, outfield, uh, yeah, I have him probably sitting around the 40th outfield, somewhere around there. I like it. I I, I mean, 
He, again, we just talked about this with Corbin Burns. We talked about, you know, the consistency factor. We talked about, you know, what is he going to do going ahead? Is it a one-year wonder? Is it going to be able to mimic exactly what he did where he busted onto the scene, right? So, so many different, different perspectives to look at, but some really good info right there. And let's end on this. Adam checking in. What's up, Adam? As always, checking in. Avid follower, Heat Ratio Sports. Make sure you follow at Heat Ratio Sports. Follow at Win Daily Sports. Um, both of those, it's a multi-case show, which is great on both platforms. Make sure you have both a tremendous content on both channels. Guys doing amazing work. So uh, make sure that you hit that. And again, last night, John, DK special last night. I got I to gotta say it. Hit the DK special last night. Uh, obviously, if you guys don't know, you know, you got to listen to the, the NBA pre-lock show every night, weekly, all win daily sports. Me, Ghost, Adam, uh, we drop our props for profit. Last night, I threw in the DK special with Harden, Cat, and Embiid all scoring 25-plus points at plus 600. And guess what? It hit, and it hit on the final. Listen, Anthony, Carl Anthony Towns had a uh, a fiery dunk down the lane. They got on the 25 points, and then he went out of the game and never came back in. So thank you, Cat. Even though I don't like you, I appreciate what you did last night to put some money in my pocket. But Adam says, you guys think, we're going to end the show on this. Freddie Freeman is staying with the Braves. And if not, where's a team that you see him go? I, I, listen, John, I mean, it's funny because, and I know everybody's going, this is the, the, the common consensus, right? That everybody's going to say Yankees, Yankees, Yankees. And I, I listen, I can't help but look at Freddie Freeman and look at Mark Teixeira, like, all over again. Like, maybe it's me. Maybe it's because they played the same position. I think Freddie Freeman's a better player. But just a situation, and I can't help but think of him in pinstripes. I, I don't know what it is. But, you know, the Braves have a big decision to make here. And, and listen, there's, there, there's a couple uh, moves, not just Freddie Freeman, and Carlos Correa as well, that once this lockout is over, it's going to be interesting to see where those two guys end up, where they stay, where they end up. It's, that's, I think, the topic of conversation. But let's just say Freddie Freeman, just your your overall gut. Does he stay with the Braves? And if he does stay with the Braves, where where do you, where's the overall gut say that he goes? Yeah, I mean, earlier, like right after the season, I, I was pretty confident he was going to stick around with the Braves. Um now, um, I'm not so much. I mean, I think the to me, if I'm the Braves, it's a no-brainer. I'm, I'm keeping him. I mean, he's he's a, a great ball player. He's a leader. He's still relatively young. Uh, you know, he's a cornerstone of that franchise. And then you have these young guys, the Austin Riley, Mashin, Acuna, uh, you know, and even some younger guys on the pitching staff. So, I mean, if I'm the Braves, I'm, to me, it's a no-brainer. If he leaves... Yes, I would say that the Yankees, who have really been looking for that first baseman for quite a few years since Teixeira, I mean, plugging in uh, Luke Voigt, it, you know, he was supposedly going to be the the next guy. Um, but they, you know, they just keep plugging different guys in. Nobody's really taken over that, uh, that job. Um, I think that would be the most logical landing spot. Um, but what I will throw out there 
how interesting would it be if he ends up going to the Padres? Uh, I, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but look, the one thing, you know, and I know we're, we're ending on this conversation, but that's one we thing got more, that I will hey, say to, to, to keep in mind for this whole upcoming season, the DH is coming to the national league. All right. That's going to happen. Like, I don't think that's it. That's not even part of this whole collect, right. you know, collective bar. Like that's, that's pretty much it's a done deal. So yes. the, the savvy fantasy baseball players, especially for season long drafts are going to know that. I mean, there could potentially be, you know, look at the catcher position, which is always overlooked where some of these catchers on their day offs going to be getting DH at bats. So that catcher that otherwise would have got 300 at bats is getting 450. If you're in a weekly lineup league, look, those, those at bats can matter. Same thing. Look, Hosmer's there. You had that DH, you know, Hosmer, that's it's like an open spot. So with these guys that are, you know, free agents that are out there and that can be signed, there's ultimately another hitting spot for half the teams in the league, you know, yeah. and you, you know, the, the Padres have a, a pretty deep roster, but you know, where another guy could come in, you know, they could spend, this is their window. Let's spend on that guy because we got another, we got room for another bat. Same thing ain't going to be true for the pirates per se. They, don't, they, ain't got, they ain't got enough guys to fill out the, the eight hitting spots that they have, let alone a ninth. So it, it's going to be on a case-by-case basis, but it's something to consciously think about, even if it's in the later rounds of a draft and you're sitting there. And, you know, we talked about playing time. I don't want to get too much into it, but that DH spot is going to open up additional playing time for some guys in the National League. And that could be the tiebreaker when you're torn between two different guys. Is one going to have more full-time at-bats um, to potentially put up better stats. So Yankees one in terms of Freeman. I'm going with Padres two as a dark horse. Um, yeah, and I, th- I think he's going to be a Yankee. I don't think the Braves are going to resign him, even though they should. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. Um, listen, and here's a real – This we're definitely going to end the show on this because this is a real dark horse candidate, and and I, I this isn't my idea. Okay, I, I, I listen, being a part of media – you come across some great articles and there's two places that I love uh, for national recognition. I love the athletic at my athletic subscription. I'm a big Jason Stark guy. I love all the writers at the athletic, but locally, okay. There's a guy named Evan Macy does a great job for Philly boys. And he wrote an article just this past week about what if Freddie Freeman came to the Phillies Right now, 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 hear this out. He makes a lot of great sense in this article. And again, it probably could be a pipe dream, but because we know the Phillies aren't comfortable going over that luxury tax. But if they certainly wanted to go all in, John, okay, the Braves offered, and this is straight from his article. Go check it out on Philly Voice. Uh, you check out uh, Evan Macy. The article is uh, rumored MLB rumors. Should the Phillies go after Freddie Freeman? It was published on February 23rd. And it specifically says that he turned down uh, a five-year, $135 million deal. He wants a six-year deal, obviously. Why wouldn't he, right? And a growing belief, this is, he writes a, you know, this is from Buster Allen. He he puts the quotations here that the Braves will move quickly to settle on an alternative and move on to get past the conversation. The growing belief is that Freeman will land somewhere else outside of Atlanta. So he his article is based on exactly what you said, John, about the DH. Because the one 
part of the Phillies lineup that I think we can all be in agreement is the weakest link is Reese Hoskins. He's very inconsistent. We don't listen. He is a flaw player, even though you may say he has good years. I get it, but he is not a consistent player that's going to help you win a championship. I'm sorry. He's just not. But now, if you were able to go above that luxury tax number, okay, which they would have to be able to do, okay, then they go after a guy like Freddie Freeman. Now that DH becomes a different story because you could even hide Reese in the outfield from time to time, but now you have a consistent power bat from the left-hand position again with, you know, you with, with obviously JT Romuto being in the middle, right? Because you, you probably would go, I would guess, Bryce, and then whether you go left, left, right, or left, right, left, but you would have more stability. But, man, John, could you imagine? It, you know, any rights in 104 career games at Citizens Bank Park, Freeman has 15 home runs, 60 RBIs, and batting 287, and he's 32 years old. Which you know, he's at that that threshold where we just talked about prime, especially from the bat. So, again, what do you? Could you imagine if the Phillies went out there and signed Freddie Freeman? Wow, that would yeah, that would, I, that, I mean, that would be would that run, would be amazing, I mean, man. It, it would. It, I mean, it absolutely would. Uh, listen, yeah, is it far fetched? No, I'm just saying. Like, what do you think? Is it is it that far fetched for that to happen? It's not far fetched, but I mean, it's like any team. Yeah, of course. Why wouldn't you want a top three player at any position? You know what I mean. So, yes, but I don't necessarily think it's the right fit. Like, yes, I would be happy if that happened. You still got that hole on the left side of the infield that if I'm going to spend the money, I'm going to shore up that hole before I'm going to spend to upgrade free, you know, Freeman over Haskins, you know, or Hoskins. Um, Yeah. We talked, there's that open spot in the DH, but am I spending the money on that first base position knowing that I got that ugly hole at third base and it's shortstop? You know, it's just more about priorities. Yes. I think he would be a, a game changer in terms of the lineup, you know, obviously he's one of the best first basemen. Um, but I don't know. I, I can't get past that glaring hole at third base. I really can't. And if they're going to spend money on a guy, I would spend it to fill that hole, not fill the first base. Uh, that, well, on, 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 on a closing note, I agree with that because that's why I'm a big Chris Chris Bryant uh, promoter here. I, w- I want Chris Bryant and a Phillies uniform. If you're going to go all in, like John said, because, listen, we've already – understood that Alex Bohm is not the answer at third base. So you need a third baseman, and I'm not playing Segura there forever. So I agree, John. That's one thing, 100%. I would go at the third base, but it is a nice pipe dream. And again, check out that article on Philly Voice by Evan Macy. He put some really good stuff in there. Just listen, he even labels it as a pipe dream, but you never know. I mean, stars could align. Things could happen. Hey, James Harden's a 76er. Who would have thought about that? Uh, but listen, as always, want to appreciate everybody for tuning in on Saturday morning. I went a little overtime, but that's okay. We, we, we hit on a bunch of topics just as an opening segue into the fantasy baseball season. Uh, next week, uh, we'll be back talking other things as well, whether, you know, positional analysis, sleepers, 
tier systems, guys that you may want to look for in your late later stages of the draft. And the once the negotiations end, we'll be here with the DFS angles as well. So make sure you check out Wind Daily Sports, check out uh, Heat Ratio Sports, both of them on all social formats. They're everywhere, all the guys, all the personalities. And again, tune in tomorrow night, Sirius Satellite Radio Channel XM, uh, 87XM. Tomorrow night, I'll be there live, 9 to, uh, 9 to 11, talking tonight. Uh, tonight, they'll be talking some fancy basketball live bets. And tomorrow, uh, we will be talking the running back and the quarterback position as it ended, as it going forward uh, for NFL fantasy, mixed with some live betting as well. So make sure you check them out and check us out everywhere. So as always, for John, for myself, everybody stay safe, stay healthy. Enjoy your Saturday. Enjoy your Sunday. It's almost springtime, which is a wonderful thing, which means pretty soon we're going to hear that hit it a bat, smack it a glove, and then contract negotiations will be set and we will get some baseball. So everybody have a great weekend and we'll catch you next time.